Hello and welcome to Historical Hysteria. I am Nicholas Ward and today is a special episode on the real history behind the Witcher series of Andrzej Sapkowski, made popular in the West by the incredible video game and now Netflix TV series of the same name. The Witcher has taken the world by storm over the last few years. This is not my standard episode, but hey, it's my podcast, so deal with it. This episode is mostly the result of a binge of Polish, Russian, and Lithuanian history books I recently been reading. And uh, yes, next year is pretty much just going to be 52 episodes on Russia, Poland, and Lithuania. Uh, warning, major spoilers ahead for the Witcher books and video games. This episode is largely based on a panorama of Polish history and Russia, its people, and culture. This episode is largely based on the books A Panorama of Polish History and Russia, Its People and Culture. The Witcher novel follows Geralt of Rivia, a monster hunter who is, against his will, dragged into the world of palace intrigue and quests to save the world. Aside from the magic, Geralt has to navigate a world at war, as the forces of a rising imperialistic power, Nilfgaard, clash with those of the Northern Realms led by Rodania. At the centre of these struggles are the four kingdoms of the Northern Realms, Temeria, Rodania, Aden and Cadwin, the mighty city-state of Novigrad, and their longtime adversary, Nilfgaard. Like how Game of Thrones was essentially the War of Roses but with magic, the world of the Witcher is a crash course in five centuries of Polish and Eastern European culture and history but with magic. The relationship between Redania, the city-state of Novigrad, and Nilfgaard are dead sets for the real-life kingdoms of Poland, Russia, and the mighty city-state of Novgorod. Novgorod, Novigrad, yeah, that's probably a coincidence. Uh, Novgorod was a huge and influential city-state sitting between St. Petersburg and Moscow. It controlled important river trade routes between the competing interests of Poland, Lithuania, the Duchy of Muscovy, and Sweden until it was seized and sacked by the Duchy of Muscovy in 1478. Novigrad, in the books, is an important coastal trading city that sits between the competing interests of Nilfgaard and the Northern Realms and the Isle of Skellige. To its south, the Kingdom of Temeria is likely a stand-in for the Grand Duchy of Lithuania, lying north of Britannia and on Novigrad's southern and eastern border, where Lithuania happened to be in real life. It is an old kingdom and one of the wealthiest in the Witcher's universe, but its power is waning and its economy is threatened by the growth of Nilfgaard and Rudania, forcing it into a closer and closer alliance with Rudania, which is pretty much exactly what happened to the Duchy of Lithuania. The Grand Duchy was founded in 1236, a close ally of Poland. It fought with it against the expansionist Teutonic Knights of Prussia. At its height, at the beginning of the 14th century, Lithuania contained almost all of modern-day Belarus and Ukraine. However, rivalries between Muscovy, Sweden, and Poland forced it to rely on its western neighbour more and more. The two would draw closer into an alliance that would eventually see the Duchy joining the Polish-Lithuanian Commonwealth officially as equals. However, in effect, it became a junior partner its former lands becoming the battleground of the wars between Rudania and Russia. I mean, I mean Poland and Russia. The Duchy of Moscovy and Russia seem to be the obvious stand-ins for Nilfgaard. However, I think Nilfgaard is an amalgamation of various threats Poland faced through history. Though the war fought between Poland, Lithuania, Novgorod, and Moscovy are perfect stand-ins, uh, it is worth noting that so is Sweden, who engaged in a series of wars with Novgorod over the 12th and 13th century and was a constant antagonist of both Poland and Lithuania. But the witch universe also contains Skellige, a series of loosely affiliated tribes of seagoing raiders whose culture is suspiciously Viking. And though in Anglo culture Vikings are generally only thought of for their western exploits, it was along the Baltic coast that the Vikings were truly ferocious. 
Skelliger in The Witcher is an agent of chaos. Raiders and pirates, they also intervene to help when the price is right, often providing vital assistance to one force or the other. Which is pretty much exactly what the Scandinavians did in Eastern Europe through the early Middle Ages. Uh, Norse settlers would briefly seize and control vast stretches of Eastern Europe and form the Kievan Rus Empire. After its fall, the many wars and power struggles of Eastern Europe were the perfect ground for raiding and mercenary work. Poland and Sweden would become closely intertwined as allies, briefly, and adversaries. And briefly would be united as a <coughs> Poland and Sweden would become closely intertwined as allies and adversaries, and briefly would be united as a single kingdom which fell apart immediately. Though this is not the only way to read the historical influences on the Witcher series. The competing interests of Redania and Nilfgaard in the books over the Northern Kingdoms can also be seen as analogous to the partition of, Polish -Lithuania, of the Polish-Lithuanian Commonwealth in the 18th century by Russia, Austria and Prussia. We shouldn't look at Polish history for hard and fast rules for the Witcher, however. For instance, in the books, the King of Redania is the ruler of Redania and Novigrad, though the city is in reality of the book universe, an independent republic. This has a real-world parallel not to Poland, but to the Duchy of Muscovy that had this relationship with Novgorod, where the princes of the Duchy of Muscovy technically ruled Novgorod, but Novgorod was, in effect, an independent republic. The series isn't a history textbook, obviously, and it weaves Eastern history together to make something new. One of the best elements of the series is the gritty realism of the world. Though Geralt and the audience are led to have some sympathy for the Northern Realms, the Northern Realms likewise have their issues. The world is brimming with genocide and racial tensions, with non-humans forced to live in ghettos where pogroms are common. Poland and Lithuania were two of the most tolerant places in Europe for Jews and Romani, with Kiev, Warsaw and Vilnius boasting some of Europe's largest Jewish communities, as well as communities as varied as Tatar to German. However, this didn't mean times were always good, and a change in ruler could suddenly change attitudes. An interesting element of the books that doesn't quite fit with the historical narrative that I've been looking at is that of Nilfgaard, Russia, as a brutal autocratic empire, but one in which magic and non-humans are tolerated. Whereas Redania, where previously tolerant, under its new king, it becomes wholly genocidal towards magic. This would seem to be a reversal of the historical reality of Russia as an extremely jingoistic culture, but there's a few different ways of viewing this. See, though Imperial Russia was a confusing entity, it certainly had a culture of oppression of, well, everyone, but it was, much more multi it was a much more multicultural empire than it is sometimes given credit for. The realities of administering such a colossal empire created a surprisingly multicultural state. While tolerant definitely isn't the right word, the Russian Tsars existed in a mishmash of autonomous groups given special places within the empire. The Baltic state Germans had special rights and made up a huge proportion of the imperial public service. The Cossacks gained autonomy on condition of service for the Russian armed forces. Prior to Ivan IV in 1547, the Duchy of Moscovy was a client state of the Kazan Khanate. Before that, the Golden Horde, two nomadic Mongol confederations with large multi-ethnic, multi-religious rulers. The religious orthodoxy and targeting of Jews that, were become, that would come to characterise the empire would only become policy in the 18th century. Uh, in the early days of the empire, Russia made a big promise of autonomy to Poles, Lithuanians and Ukrainians, only to slowly wind them back over the centuries. And then, very quickly, after the Poles would not stop rebelling. To my mind, there are two alternative viewpoints uh, historically. You could see Nilfgaard as the Holy Roman Empire, which long had conflicts with Poland, but that would make Redania Russia, 
and given that Rodania's flag in the books and games is basically identical to the Polish flag, that really doesn't fit well. Uh, alternatively, you could see Rodania as the Holy Roman Empire and Nilfgaard as still as Russia, then with the Northern Realms being dominated by Rodania as Poland, possibly. Alternatively, Nilfgaard could also be a stand-in for the USSR. Under the USSR, integration of Jews and Romani was forced, often ineffectively, across Eastern Europe. Poland has a long and complex history as a crossroads between East and West. Though it had periods of glory, much of the last several hundred years has been Poland acting as a buffer between larger states and being horrifically punished for it. This long and tragic story is woven into the essence of the Witcher series, and one of the elements that makes it so rich for Western audiences is the introduction of a cavalcade of myths, history, and cultural stories we have been largely unaware of. In many ways, the Witcher is a crash course on 1,000 years of Eastern European history and culture. Anyway, if I go deeper, I'm going to start talking about how dwarves in Lord of the Rings have big noses, love gold, and lost their homeland, and that's not a path that anyone wants me to be going down. At least not right now. But, like, it is weird that the only evil humans in Lord of the Rings are men from the East who are basically just fantasy Arabs, right? That's weird, right? I mean, okay, screw it. Let's just talk about Lord of the Rings and what's that? I'm being told I'm out of time. Hmm. Okay, well, before I leave, let me leave you with this. The Lord of the Rings, because of when it was written, has been dogged by claims of the books being allegories of World War I or World War II. J.R. Tolkien was emphatic in saying that this was not the case. He, he did not like allegories. However, one allegory he did allow himself in his books was that of the dwarves. Once writing, I do think of the dwarves like Jews, at once native and alien in their habitation, speaking the languages of the country, but with an accent due to their own private language. The dwarves, of course, are quite obviously, wouldn't you say, that in many ways they remind you of the Jews. Their words are Semitic, obviously constructed to be Semitic. Anyway, bye.